With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, this is Ed McGrogan, as usual, here, but today uh, we do have a special guest for our men's 2015 U.S. Open uh, preview, and that is someone who who works actually uh, not in the tennis world but is a big fan of the sport, Albert Chen. He is a, a staff writer for Sports Illustrated, does a lot of work um, on baseball in particular as well as for um, SI.com. Um, so first off, Al, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Great to be here with you, Ed. Looking forward to talking some uh, some tennis. Yeah, and um, and just so you know, anybody who may have or have not read your work, if you perhaps want to give just a little brief uh, intro into into who you are, they've heard enough about me over the time. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a staff writer at Sports Illustrated, as you mentioned. Um, really, during baseball season, covering mostly baseball on a day to day basis. Uh, do some stuff for MLB Network as well, um, but you know, have written about a lot of different things for the magazine. Uh, my last couple stories were actually college football stories, so doing a little of everything uh, for the magazine and contribute to the website as well. But um, as a big tennis fan, always excited to talk tennis and to geek out a little bit about <laughs> the uh, the bracket and the draw for sure so um, trust me anybody who downloads this podcast is in is in that realm of fans so you're you're in the right place Did, had you um did you play back in your day or still play or just kind of a, a big tv viewer fan of the pro game well as uh, my wife andrea can tell you the tennis uh, channel is is uh, on, on in the background a lot here in our apartment in New York, but I do play a lot. I have a a, a tennis date set up actually at uh, Randall's Island this weekend. Um, try to get out there as much as possible here in New York. Um, played high school tennis, uh, a little bit of intramurals at in, at the college level. Uh, not not too much uh, not too much of a resume to talk about there, but um, but yeah, uh, trying to get try to get out there as much as possible. Yeah, and I and I. I do have an ulterior ulterior motive for bringing you on, and we'll get to that in a little bit. It does deal with um, you know, your trade baseball and the you know the two uh, big stadiums that are right next to each other in Flushing Meadows, and we'll get to that and uh, meet the Mets a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, we should get right into the draw. It just came out this afternoon, about three four hours ago. Um, depending, you'll obviously be hearing this much later than that, but. But in particular, I thought this men's draw overall was pretty was pretty compelling for you know for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, obviously, right off the bat, you I think the big question was to see where Andy Murray as the three seed ended up. Um, he ends up, you know, 
where where he's placed right here in the um, in the Djokovic half of the draw, certainly something of interest. And sorry, the Federer half of the draw. That's right, uh, that's right. a big error on my part. What I meant to get into because I was thinking about this is you know. Right off the bat, the first quarter of this draw, Djokovic and Nadal, you know, they're placed in a possible uh, quarterfinal matchup down the line, and uh, you know they they've played at every, almost all the Slams uh, at the U.S. Open have a big history in that in the finals. Um, overall, I guess we should start off the top with them. Is really where do you you know how do you see I guess Djokovic and for that matter Nadal coming into you know this U.S. Open. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's a great place to start. I think Djokovic uh, is is looking good. I mean, I, you know, I think obviously you could be a little bit down on him with his performance uh, in Cincinnati. But, you know, I, I think everyone's kind of looking at that Djokovic-Nadal potential matchup. I think Djokovic sails in, to that point in the tournament. But, I mean, Nadal, it could get a little tricky for him. I mean, I think, you know... We can talk about this a little bit more, but there's some great first-round matches, and right off the bat, Nadal's got Chorich, who you know obviously is one of the great young talents in the game. Uh, but even ahead of that, you know, Fanini, that could be a complicated match for him. Certainly, Raonic uh, in that fourth round, leading up to Djokovic. So I'm not that confident that Nadal's going to get there. Obviously, that would be a tremendous quarterfinal. But um, you know, I'm I, I'm not I'm thinking that Djokovic might be facing someone else there. He could end up, uh, you know, perhaps facing Marty Fish down the line. Who knows? <laughs> when, right. some, yeah. when somebody when somebody earlier today said that, um, you know, that Marty had a poten- uh, you know, the potential to actually kind of really stick around in this farewell tournament here. I had to look at you know in what section of the draw he was at. And then you see him, you know, pretty close to Nadal and all these other players you mentioned. And and doesn't that kind of say it all about Rafa and where we see him nowadays as that, you know, nothing should really be taken for granted for for Nadal. You know, in Cincinnati, when he lost to Feliciano Lopez, you know, I wrote that, um, that it was one of those matches that it just... It just didn't seem like the upset you we've we've traditionally given that type of result of Rafa's over the years, and it's just it's been a steady year of really this this new stage of Nadal's career, and I, I do agree with you that you know the Chorich match in particular is one of one of many really strong first rounders. We'll get to another you know another couple down in a little bit, but but that's going to be a firm test for you know for Nadal right off the bat. Um, it does look a little better for Djokovic on the other side, but it, it, I think overall it's a very compelling quarter. Yeah, I mean, would you do you think Nadal's going to get to that quarterfinal? I mean, I completely agree with you. It just kind of shows that, I mean, everything just really has to break right for him at this point in his career, and, you know, whether it's health, but, I mean, the draw has just got to be favorable, and I just don't see it. I, I you know, it's, that's a, to get Randic in that fourth round and then Djokovic in the quarterfinal. I mean, this is. I'm not too optimistic on on a big Nadal run here. Yeah, it's it's a tough call with with Rafa and Raonic in particular yeah. because you know traditionally Raonic is the type of player who has beaten Rafa at a slam. He is that big uh, server, big hitter that can really 
sort of negate all of Rafa's strengths on the baseline by kind of taking the you know taking the terms off of you know off of the baseline really but but I've also in a way still kind of soured on Raonic you know at the slams in a bit he he's gone far um but it it always seems like we are we are still in a sense waiting for that big move from him um, into that upper plane of of sort of tier two player, you know, really sort of asserting themselves with the elite. And I do I do want to give Rafa the benefit of the doubt in a way, only because he's healthy, which has been such a you know that has been the story of almost all of his recent struggles. But this year he actually you know it's more form that has eluded him than health. And I wonder if um, I wonder if maybe. We're kind of selling. We, I wonder if we're potentially selling him short. It's one of those things where we're, we're you know, we're we're kind of undervaluing him so much that uh, you know he could be sort of right for you know he could he could be a good buy low candidate in a way. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I I think that we've seen that in the past where this is a guy that can just suddenly play at that high flip a switch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, and I I felt the exact same way that I felt like a lot of people were kind of underselling, undervaluing him heading into the tournament. Uh, it's just a really tough draw for him, I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, like I said, Chorch is great. Uh, great right off the top. And, you know, other compelling stuff in that quarter that, you know, that will present itself. You know, you get Fish, like I said. Tommy Haas, this is really kind of the um, the veterans area of the, of the draw for, you know, for those two guys there. Um, so we'll see a lot. Obviously, it really boils down to Novak um, in the end because, you know, I guess maybe, you know, we'll get to Roger in, we'll get to Roger and Murray and Ravrinka in a little bit. But while we're, you know, while we're on Djokovic, I mean, overall, do, do you see him as the favorite in this tournament or does, he, you know, does the recent. Uh, you know, Federer win in Cincinnati, which included a, a, a win in the final over Djokovic. I mean, who do you who do you tab as maybe the betting favorite in this tournament? I, I think you have to go with Djokovic. I mean, I you know I don't know if you agree with me here, but I think Djokovic has got to be still considered the favorite. Um, you know, considering the body of work this season and and just the way he's playing. You know, I think that. Man, he's just so steady in these tournaments that, you know, I think you just have to pencil him into that final, just the way sort of the draw looks right now. But, yeah, I'm, I, to answer your question, I think Djokovic, to me, is pretty clearly the favorite right now. Yeah, it's um, it, it's, it has been his year for sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that really was – that was a – the Wimbledon final in particular really put a fine point on that, you know, not to mention everything else he's done before then. Um, you know, let's head down to where you know the second quarter, the opposing quarter of um, of where Djokovic lies, and um, you, you have a mixture here. I think of really, you know, a lot of talents that could kind of, as I just said earlier, flip a switch at a at a, at a moment's notice. Um, not only even the seated players like Joel Frisanga, Monfils, Dimitrov. Um, you, know, you have Alex Dolgopolov as well, who just you know who just had a great run a few weeks ago. You have the defending champion Marin Cilic. A lot of you know a lot of people may have forgotten uh, because he really hasn't followed up 
followed up his open with a you know a, a year that would that would sort of reflect a major champion. But he is there as well. Uh, that said, you know none of those players are the top two seeds in this quarter. That goes to Ferrer and Nishikori at the four and the seven. Um, but it's a this is a quarter of the draw where I could see a lot of people veering in different directions as to where they believe it, it shakes out in the end. Um, you know, what are you thinking for this? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Ed. I, you know, I think um, a lot of question marks to these guys in this, uh, in this portion of the bracket, but um, you know, to me, it's also a huge opportunity for, you know, two guys we've sort of been waiting on. You know, I know Nishikori had a breakthrough last year, you know, of course, at the U.S. Open, but you know, maybe uh, he can push it a little further this year. You know, obviously, there's questions about his health, um, him pulling out of Cincinnati, his hip. But if he's healthy, I think he could get to that semifinal uh, uh, pretty comfortably. I, I think the interesting guy here is Dimitrov. You know, another guy we've been waiting for, kind of in that Rayonich sort of boat there. Um, you know, 24 years old, I feel like this is kind of the tournament where, you know, let's see something out of him, right? I mean, uh, he's really got a huge opportunity here when you look me and you have that tough third round match potentially with Chilich. Um, then maybe he's got Ferrer after that. And if Nishikori gets that far, I mean, this is this is a potentially a, a really good opportunity for Dimitrov to make some noise in this tournament. But just the same questions with him. Can he put it together in a grand slam? Yeah, this is like uh, somehow you, um, you you read my expert picks before I published them <laughs> on the site. Yeah, and when I you know when I was asked to look at at a, at a dark horse in the men's tournament, um, yeah, I looked around and I I did settle on Dimitro for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, I think overall it's a pretty it's a pretty advantageous draw f- for him um and you know th- the thing is that he's not he he should not run he will not in this quarter run into a player that we could say without any without you know any degree of uncertainty that Dimitrov is clearly you know a a, a lopsided fit, you know under right. uh, under against I think I think that w- what we've seen from Dimitrov over the past 16 months really is you know it would be it would be kind of foolhardy to to, to really forget about what he brings to the table if he is in his peak form and uh, he's you know I don't he's not in his peak form that's the problem and I think right. uh, you know that's why he's down number 17 of course in the seating but I think you know if a Dimitrov and Chilich matched up against each other you know certainly someone like Chilich he, he, you know I think he's even less of a comparable form to his peak of a year ago than a Dimitrov is and Ferrer is you know that's probably the weakest of the you know the top 8 seeds overall um, it would be, you know, it would be asking a lot to, you know, to to put a lot of, of, of stock into Dimitra, but I think he's one of the more, you know, tantalizing lower seeds in the whole tournament. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just curious. I mean, have you filled out your bracket yet? I mean, are you picking Dimitrov here? I mean, I, I feel like it almost, for me, would have to come down to Nishikori and Dimitrov. Um, those are the, yeah. Those are the two that I, that I put in the quarter for sure. Yeah. And um, you know the, the tough thing with these tournaments and when you fill out brackets of four is that 
you know, we're, we go off so much history of the, the eight months of the year that we build into these picks that we make and, and, and put our lives on the line to make. But uh, what ends up happening is that, you know, just three or four matches can can change the tone of anyone's uh, you know perception that quickly, and I feel like um, I feel like the first week of this tournament, where where the first week may not be very revealing to the higher seeds, and I do expect Nishikori to do very to, you know to kind of go through the early stretch fairly comfortably. I think it will tell a lot about. Um, someone like Dimitrov, someone like Marin Cilic, and and, and we'll go from there. Um, so you're you're not so concerned about Nishikori's health at this point? Um, no, I yeah. I think that I think that he you know it, it always lingers, but I I have a little more faith in him over what I've seen not only from last year at the Open, but but you know just in general this year I. I do feel like he is entrenching himself pretty comfortably into that top five, where which is, which is where a lot of people had him, you know, kind of pegged him to, you know, as a prospect years ago. And I think, I think he, I think there's still a lot to prove beyond once he gets, you know, let's say he does get to that semifinal, like you mentioned against Djokovic. I think there is where there's still a lot to prove for him but i do sure. think i do think overall he is a pretty solid favorite in this draw but i i do i am a, i'm very interested in what a dimitrov brings to this overall um is there any you know of the other top names in this draw a, a monfis a songa i mean i mean are these guys that you have really any faith in anymore as real serious contenders or are they more just the classic you know, second round night match, third round, you know, third round late afternoon thrower that that gets the highlights, but you know, really beyond that is kind of you know, that's nothing we should worry concern ourselves. Yeah, I, that's a great question because you know, obviously Sangha and Mafia are two of the more exciting players on the tour. I, I do kind of at this point feel like they are more of. Uh, I don't have too much confidence that you know those guys sort of in that boat really will. Will make a push far into the tournament, even though uh, you look at the draw and is somewhat favorable to them. You know, Delgopolov is pretty intriguing there, but that's a tough third round match against Nishikori. But I like his upside. I feel like even more than a Song or a Monfi. But yeah, I think at this point, to answer your question, I don't have too many, too much confidence in in those guys really making a serious push into the semis. It's a very shot-making uh, quarter yeah. of the draw, um, and, and very we, entertaining. I yes, say. I, I think perhaps yeah the uh, the the quarter to be seen, and uh, <laughs> we'll see where you know if any of them kind of make it beyond that point. But um, let's head to the you know the second half of the draw here, and as I um, as I erroneously put it in the introduction to this podcast, Andy Murray is in the Roger Federer half of the draw, not the Novak Djokovic half of the draw. So. If any of you stuck around and didn't dispel that as just sheer ignorance, um, here we are. And, you know, Murray is in a, you know, it's Murray and uh, Stan are the top two seeds, the three and the five. Um, you know, perhaps this is even, you know, pound for pound, maybe the toughest quarter, even even when you consider Djokovic and Rafa, you know, Murray and Stan have just, you know, these are guys that I feel like, in a way, are built for the U.S. Open. They're built for, you know, the big 
five set slog on hard courts over you know in some heat uh, they they are they've really become two of the clear just baseline brutes of, of the tour um, you know Murray getting a very big win in, win in Canada he beats Djokovic you know to my point he kind of outlasts Djokovic in that final um, and Stan has you know I think has used this year overall to to it took him a little while to get there, but you know when he breaks through at the 2014 Australian Open, and we see that you know it was not a, it was not a really a fluke run. He goes and wins the French in one of the matches of the year to beat Djokovic. Uh, there's a lot you know other stuff with Stan obviously over the past few weeks that have that have been you know talked about, but this is a pretty strong, pretty top heavy quarter, I would say, starting with these two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, as you mentioned, I, I, you know, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine and Orenka at this point, I mean, he's as good as anyone on the planet when he's playing at his top level. I mean, he has just been really impressive, obviously, over this year, past two years. And uh, I would be very comfortable with putting him into the semifinals. I'm just really uh, pretty high on Murray at this point. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to get that fascinating first round match over Kyrgios. And uh, it almost is kind of unfortunate that, you know, a lot of these young guns that we've talked about, like Chorich and Kyrgios, and we'll get to Kokonakis later, have these first round match, matches where, you know, we, we won't be able to catch them maybe on a on an outer court. But, um but I think no, those are yeah, those are destined for the uh, the bright yeah. lights, and that you know, that Murray absolutely. and Kyrgios match is just dynamite. Um, dynamite. I, I I actually expect. I mean, I ex- I think Kyrgios is so fried personally that he's yeah. going to go down in straights, yeah. but still, it's going to be. Theater. It's a fascinating match, and uh, you know, I, I'll watch for sure. But um, I think Murray's going to you know get through that fairly easily, and I do think he gets to the quarterfinals. Uh, you know, does have an interesting match with. Um, you know, Dominic Thiem, Thiem uh, in the in the fourth round potentially. You know, another young guy who uh, would love to see a breakthrough from. You know, maybe uh, you know showing sort of this new wave that we've been hearing about. Unfortunately, he does get Murray in that fourth round, and I just don't see Murray having too much trouble. I think we're going to get that quarterfinal. That is, uh, it's going to be just a tremendous match between, like you said, two two big time heavyweights there. Yeah, and if you want to look, you know, in between in between those guys, and maybe you know, consider where you know where that could kind of go off the rails. You know, we're talking about sleeper picks, and if you really want to go a little off the board, um, you know, you're saying Kyrgios, you know, George, sort of, they're just off the seed, they're they're just off the top 32, which is why they get these tough draws right away. You know, Gulbis as well. You know, he's uh, you know he's a little further off the off the trail than them, but you know he's a guy who, um, you know, if he was to play a stand down the road, I believe that maybe is a fourth, a third or fourth rounder. You know, that's one of those where you would, you know, you would have to be careful um, if you're Ravrink in a, in a match like that. You know, speaking of players who can kind of unnerve you on the court, that's you know, Galbus is is one of the the great irritators of the game. Um, so, you know, someone like that there, you, you know, in the middle, you know, of that, there's, this is a very American, a U.S. heavy quarter, you know, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, you'll be seeing a lot of these guys on the broadcast too, Sock, Tiafo, um, you know, I think Donald Young, of course, uh, so, you know, I think 
I think, like I said, top-heavy in the sense that I don't really expect any of those guys to, in the end, make it uh, anything less than a Murray-Stan uh, quarter. And, uh, you know, I, I realize that, you know, as we're talking, it seems like chalk is really prevailing in this as we go. But, you know, that with the exception of last year's final at the Open, where it was in Nishikori and Chilich, um, you know, as as long as the as the tennis season is every year, it's amazing to me how the you know how at the slams in the best of five format and how after eight months of the year, it really is you know a sport where the one and the two seeds in in NCAA basketball parlance inevitably seem to get through. Yeah, and and would you say the U.S. Open is perhaps the most predictive tournament of them all with the fewest? chances for upsets. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, that may be the case. And I, uh, historically it's, um, I always, I give that to Wimbledon only because I, I find that every player in a way peaks for, for that event. And, and I think everybody gives it the esteem as, you know, tennis is preeminent tournament. And if you look at the, if you look at the men's champions and any champion, particularly the men's side, you know, no one outside of the Big Four has won that since 2002, or so. I, I yeah. think that's actually correct. So, um, but but the Open in general, you know, certainly I think it's more of a predictable event than the French and the Australian, where you know you're dealing with a, a, a surface that's native to a lot of players, and you're dealing with an event that starts you know three weeks after the year begins. So, I think that's a good point. Is that you know. You know the open. You know we've seen the evidence has mounted of all these players, and you know now we're I think just kind of having that one little one last tournament of affirmation for for all these guys here. Um, and anything else you saw of interest in in this third quarter well, of the draw? I mean, as you mentioned, I mean a lot of interesting Americans here. I mean, obviously Tiafo, who I was lucky to see last year uh, at the Open, wandering the courts and seeing him in the junior tournament, and you know everyone will be interested to see how he fares. Uh, you know, Jack Sock. I mean, he's been playing really well, right? So we'll see. You know, obviously third round match, no one's going to pick him against Warinka, but if he can, <laughs> if he can somehow pull through that match, he could make things interesting. But I do really like how he's been playing. But yeah, a lot of. A lot of interesting Americans in in this side of the draw. Yeah, that that if that match comes to pass, that's brutal on the tennis balls because of, of the yeah. way those like combine the sock forehand with the Ravrinka backhand, um, and it's just lights out for for the felt there. Um, yeah, that you know that I would love to see the Jack the Jack and Stan third rounder four. I think. I think it would be a great display to see really how both guys react to that. Um, you know, Stan. You know, we know what Stan brings, but I. But you know, Sock has kind of been has been you know I think slowly being given the mantle of really the um, you know the U.S. men's player that that potentially could could take the game you know to uh you know take his game to another place and really kind of you know get the get the you know the country as much as I really, I, I really hate to, uh, to assign teams in a way as countries to players, but, but, you know, uh, his talent is pretty remarkable. And when you see him in person, this is, this is, you know, one thing I would say is if you do go to the open this year, um, you know, there are, and we, you just talked about outside courts, you know, 
that is where you want to be early on because, and especially of these players who are really low seated, but you could still see on grandstand and Armstrong and court 17. That's where you need to be to see this stuff. You yeah. Agree, and I, I, I do, I do love his game. I mean, obviously he's a huge game, big forehand, that big serve, but he's also got kind of, uh, you know, the, he's also got the touch. I think he's got the versatility where, you know, he's a little bit more than just that big serve and that big game where, I think in one of these tournaments um, he could make some noise. Yeah. What uh, I I assume hopefully you'll be out at the open this year. But what what are some you know things that you have found over your time at the tournament you know as particularly enjoyable from the from the fan perspective because I I you know it's such a well attended event and I think overall a pretty a pretty fan friendly one and I think you get really good value overall for you know a ticket purchase. There. No, I I think it's one of the great New York sporting events you know in terms of fan experience without question i mean you know what i always do and i make sure to go at least a couple times a year and i'm i'm going out there early next week um you know i don't even bother with getting the arthur ash seat uh just get a grounds pass for those early rounds sort of wander the side courts you know i remember i don't know really remember how many years ago it's been now but you know seeing a young andy murray uh, out on an outer court, I think I was we, me and my friend were probably two of maybe ten people in attendance, and uh, just being able to see these guys when you know before sort of uh, before the fame and, and all that stuff. But and you know, I just love kind of uh, you know I think they added seating to the practice court area. I think it was mm-hmm. last year, and you know that's the best place to catch a glimpse of of the big stars, and you know way better than sitting. You know, all the way up top at, at Arthur Ashe. So, um, just getting up close to you know seeing a lot of these players. If you're a big tennis fan, I think it's you can't beat it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not touting for the USTA here. I know it does sound that way, but it is. I think the value is pretty strong for this. And like I said, uh, or like what you just said, you know. You should also, if anybody's in New York, is go during this week where it's free admission to the qualifying rounds, and um, and you, you also see a lot of players practicing um, on Armstrong Grandstand that you can just walk into. You know, when I was there yesterday, I caught an hour-long practice session of Federer and Leighton Hewitt, and um, you know something that is you know, pretty striking to see up close, if only for the you know after all these years and all these matches that these guys are, you know, still kind of whacking away at, you know, hundreds of balls during practice and, and you know, obviously impressively so. But it's uh, it's a very good, you know, very good event to go to and the, uh, the renovation of the practice courts and courts four, five, and six, which they did last year, really helps the grounds out a lot in the, um, the uh, disbursement of, of bodies because it is – very crowded and very sticky sometimes in the the August uh, and September late summer heat. Um, with that said, let's move to the last quarter of the straw. And this is where Roger Federer is at the, way at the bottom, number two seed. Um, he gets uh, you know first match Leonardo Meyer, second round potentially Baghdadis or Steve Darsis. Um, Federer's form though, I, I I doubt anybody would be picking anything against him going, you know, fairly far in this event. I, I I could see him winning the title as I've, you know, I may have alluded to earlier when I was discussing Djokovic's merits. 
there, you know, there is a lot. Um, there's a, there's a lot of meat for Federer to to deal with in this quarter, though, before we even contemplate um, such late round matches as those. Um, you know, what do you see in this quarter as potentially stum- potential stumbling blocks for for Roger Federer? You know, <laughs> that's a really good question because I think looking at the draw, uh, one of my big takeaways is this is a very, very good draw for Roger Federer. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you're looking at that Cole Schreiber, Russell potential third round match. Obviously, those guys have made some noise in Grand Slams past. I just don't see uh, Federer having too much trouble. I think historically he's done very well against both guys. Then he's got, you know, potentially two big servers in and Karlovich and, and Isner after that. Again, I just don't see it. I think he's got a great record against Karlovich as well. And, you know, everyone's talking about his chip and charge new strategy on serves. You know, maybe that doesn't happen as much, but I think that... That'd be uh, a hell of a thing to see against one of those yeah, guys, exactly. right? But, you know, I, I think the, the thing is, you know, they've been playing a lot of, you know, last year's um, U.S. Open uh, on the tennis channel, I've been watching that the last few days, and you know what strikes me about last year is Federer was playing really, really well, and I think that uh, you know he just got into problems when he got into that very long match with Malfi. I mean, you know the way Chilich was hitting the ball in the semifinals and, and in the tournament as a whole. You know who knows? Maybe no one beats him on that kind of run, but I just feel like it's just absolutely imperative for Federer to just kind of at his age the key right now you know is just getting through these matches quickly having an efficient tournament um i think that Malfi's quarterfinal was just absolutely killer for him um last year and if he can sail through which i think that he can i mean you know we know burdich is a very good player and you know that's certainly not he's not going to roll over there but um burdich has kind of had an up and down year uh i think there's a really good opportunity here for Federer to get to that semis pretty comfortably and I think it really is I think the most important thing right now at this point is that Federer just keeps those five set matches to a minimum and just doesn't have them yeah I mean in a way I I was setting it up a bit because this does seem like the least deep quarter of of the men's draw here yeah Um, Federer's record against big big servers and you go back to even when he was playing Andy Roddick, um, has always been fantastic. He, you know, to me, the things about Federer, you know, one of the things about qualities of his game that I think has been so underrated over the years is, is we know how good Roger's serve is, how good his forehand is, things like that. But, but he really, you know, he really, you could say that for any shot in his game. That includes the defense. That includes the return of serve, and and he's used that to really just take big servers out of you know totally out of control. Um, and it looks like he is gonna you know run. He's gonna run probably into an Isner or a Karlovich. Karlovich has played exceptionally well this year for his age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might break the ace record at the Open. It's Philippoussis's record. It's over ten thousand. Um, but it's really you know, and I I hate to judge things on just a practice and a, and a week in Cincinnati, but. Roger just, you know, he does he does not look anything close to what a 30 what a typical 34-year-old 
in the game looks like. He he looks fantastic at the moment. And the the thing that will always give me pause about him is that uh, and last year, as you said, is a great example, and I think it's a good point about the Monfils match and how over time those miles tend to accrue, and you know we only really see the result of that when you play a match where, okay, this guy is giving as good as he's getting, and we saw Chilich did that. Um, you know, Roger tends to look great early in these tournaments, and he probably needs to, needs to get through these matches early, like you said. And it's just at the end where he's not been able to punch through. And yeah. that really is going to be just the question for him, I think, in the end at the Open. Yeah, and I you know, I feel the Roger momentum, and I feel like a lot of people may pick him. Uh, and, and rightly so. I mean, he, looks, he has looked really good. I do hesitate a little bit because I don't know that I trust him in that big match, you know, in those big points anymore. Um, you know, I think we uh, have seen him just fold – a little too many times and you know I would love to see him win another major but you know you get you sort of start talking about you know maybe a potential semi against Murray a final against Djokovic uh, you know do you trust him in that big match and I'm not sure that I do yeah I mean that's it's it's been tough to um it's been tough to do that uh, against, but not against Murray. Uh, Murray, he has definitely been having his number of late. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know, and but the Djokovic one is the tough call, yes. and um, and to me, it, the call, I guess, would the call does have to be Djokovic, especially when you remember, you know, this is now two straight Wimbledon finals of of Djokovic being able to get it done against Roger. Um, it, it, but I, I do think we're, I do think we are headed for that path. I, I, I do have, I do have fairly, I, I'm fairly confident that Roger will win his quarter and can beat either Stan or Murray in the semifinal. And, um, and I think, you know, we kind of bring it back to where we're talking about chalk prevailing. It, it does seem to me as a one versus two for for this title, and um, and uh, oh, it's it's well, it should be good. It should be good stuff. Let me let me ask you this: out of sort of the big uh, three or four, if you want to put Warinka in that sort of group, who would be the guy who you think is a, a potential dark horse or a threat to win it all? Uh, of the of that top caliber or outside, or outside of outside of that top caliber outside of that so who is this year's who is this year's Marin Cilic basically exactly, yeah. in a way yeah um i mean i mean you could logically say that perhaps you know after failing in the final last year maybe that was the necessary step that Kane Shikori needed to break through in, in a US Open final this year that's yeah, that's one approach you know, you could take. Um, you know, at, looking at the other seeds, I think I think as we go down the list and look at you know so many players in the realm of a, a of a Burdich, a Ferrer are are so past the point of, of calling you know of of calling that legitimate dark horse shot. Um, but it would be a, still a surprise if they you know. He, God. Yeah, for really sure. Profound. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it does seem that it does seem that Nishikori is the answer that 
that he would be the most likely of outside a Federer, a Djokovic, a um, you know a Murray. I you know I think I think I would lump Stan into this discussion. I wouldn't lump him into the you know a big X name your number caliber of men's players. I mean. I don't think it would be a huge. I don't think it would be a colossal surprise if Stan Wawrinka won the U.S. Open. Is what I'm trying to say. But if we're kind of going a little off the conventional radar, um, you know, Nishikori is probably the most the most likely to, you know, and that would that would still be a surprise for me, even at the number four seed, if he was to do that, because you would assume. He would have to be beating a, um, you know, which he did last year. He would have to beat a Djokovic to get to that point. Um, right. right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it because I think we, overall we're still, you know, the bottom line to me is that we are still firmly in this era of, you know, of, you know, these big men's greats. And really we haven't seen for the most part a, a steady line of challengers come to supplant them. We've seen sort of, uh, inroads made by Vavrinka, by Chilich, of course. You know, Del Potro is, you know, that seems like an eternity ago now at this point. But, but really, it, you know, and this is just a testament to their longevity and their excellence. It is still hard to conceive or to think about someone besides those those top guys winning. Um, to me, at least, I, I'm not sure about yourself. No, I I agree, and I think that. You know, it is kind of like two storylines here. You know, you have the the old storyline about the big three or big four, whatever you want to call it. But you know, which of which of you know whether you want to put Nishikori, Dimitrov, Rionich on that in sort of that group of these guys that we've been waiting on, who's going to sort of rise to the occasion? And I feel like you know, I'm I'm sort of on the same page with you in terms of Rionich. It's kind of been. I'm sort of past that where I'm expecting big things from him. I have big questions about how far he can get in a Grand Slam. Um, but I do think, you know, looking at this draw, there could be an opportunity for either Nishikori or Dimitrov um, in that side of the draw to obviously get to the semis. And, you know, once you're there, let's see what can happen after that. Yeah, I think that I think that's you know one of the intriguing things about that second quarter. Um, overall, though, I mean, it's you know. I think the thing to remember is that Andy Murray and, and Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka, I would say, are in their absolute primes of their careers right now. Right. We're talking about them like they're veteran players. They are, if you go strictly by an age, you know, by the traditional age of of a tennis player. But it's not as if these guys are on the back nines of their careers here. They are all still giving, you know, the best they're going to give here. So. Um, to me, that's a you know kind of the overriding theme here in all this discussion. Um, so, who's your pick? So, I, it sounds like Djokovic is is your pick, and then uh, well, Djokovic. you already stole one of my expert picks already <laughs> with the, with Dimitrov. You know, I, I would suggest everybody tune into the website tennis.com to see my official pick on the expert picks page, which will be up by the time you're listening to this. Um, if you're still listening to us, and if you are, thank you. With that said. Um, I want to keep you on here for just a little while longer because, like I said, I brought you on for your baseball acumen as well. And the reason I, you know, the reason really I bring you on is because of the Mets who play right. You know, if if anybody's ever, if you've been to the U.S. Open, you know that um, 
City Field, which was Shea Stadium, is is right on the opposite side of the boardwalk at Willits Point. Um, you know, occasionally you have the Mets homestand colliding with the U.S. Open stretch, and you get the snarling traffic on the Van Wyck and and you know, Roosevelt Avenue places like that. But the Mets have this sort of link to the U.S. Open, and recently that's that hasn't amounted to much of anything. But but this year. Um, the Mets are actually pretty, quite legitimate. You know, I guess I think they are legitimate, and that's primarily because of their their pitching. Uh, and I kind of wanted to get your your take on this. I, I'm not a Mets fan. I'm certainly interested in them, um, you know, because I'm around you know around the area so often. And you know, what seems to happen to me is that you know, I I tend to think that. I like to see that when when a team has this sort of breath of young talent on the mound or anywhere, uh, that they seem like in a way that they are, you know, that they are kind of they, they want to make a a stand now. And I, it's very complicated with the way that management in the Mets organization is for a lot of reasons. But you know, where do you sort of assess the Mets at at this point? You know, right now as as we record this, I believe they're maybe five or five and a half games up in the NL East. Yeah, they're actually six and a half games up on the NL East. And that is a very, very significant margin when you're talking about late August, uh, you know, what, five weeks left in the regular season. Um, the odds are that the Mets, you know, as, as a, you know, I, I hesitate to because I have a lot of friends who are Mets fans. Obviously, I'm, you know, living here in New York don't want to jinx them. I think the Mets are going to the postseason, and I think that is a a pretty shocking development. I think this is earlier than a lot of people expected. We've been hearing about their young pitching for a long time, but with a six and a half game lead, that's a very significant lead at this point. Uh, I was just at Sports Illustrated doing a um, a video and and talking a lot about their chances sort of going forward and. Uh, this is this is a really really interesting team, and I think what is interesting about them is that a month ago, I think a lot of fans would have said that this was a very frustrating team to watch because uh, of the lack of offense. This team has made a lot of moves since the trade deadline, as you know, hardcore Mets fans can tell you. And uh, this team is all about young pitching with Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard and Jacob Degrom and. Uh, Steven Matz on this team, uh, but they've become like this weird offensive juggernaut over the last few weeks, uh, and it's become a really entertaining team. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, as you were kind of alluding to, it's it's funny how you know that little stretch of Queens will next week be uh, the center of the New York sports world. You know, I, I don't want to get onto the seven train next week because the Mets are actually in town. I think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, for a so, night, so game. the first, so the first three first days three, of the open. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I'm actually I'm headed out to the open uh, on Wednesday, and really considering sticking around for uh, the the game that night. I think Matt Harvey is due to pitch um, that night, so it's it's just going to be it's great. I think it's um you know the Mets have kind of taken over this town. The Yankees are are having a great season, but uh, it's really feels like a Mets town. Uh, this summer because this has become a fun team to watch. And let's remember, this team has not made the postseason since 2006. They really haven't been playing meaningful games 
at this point of the season since 2008. So there's reason to be excited about this team. And, you know, going back to your first point, with a six-and-a-half game lead, that's a significant uh, margin at this point in the season. I think they're headed for the postseason. And, yeah, it's going to be really fun next week in, in, in that stretch of uh, Queens. In Flushing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and um, you know, that's, that's the thing I think you talk about, this feeling like a uh, so much of the buzz that, that the Mets have brought to the city. Um, it, it does kind of resonate off of, to me, uh, it, it's it's the young pitching, of course. Everybody's attracted to the young, um, you know, the young star athletes, and and that's where the Mets have, I think, traditionally, and also this year have obviously that you know that's where, you know, the bulk of their you know of what makes them such a strong team, and perhaps even a very interesting postseason team where pitching is even more central to success in these short series. Um, that's what makes them so interesting. But kind of the the remainder of this lineup um, is is you know it's fun as you say. Like it's it I I would hesitate to ever compare you know a New York team to the Red Sox. But if you think back to you know Boston's World Series winning teams of the last decade, and you know for for a lot of it you know there are the star there are the star players obviously the David Ortiz's and Ramirez back in the day but a lot of it seemed to be this collection of of players who were very endearing to fans seemed to get these timely hits and play good you know play well on the field when when needed you know i don't think anything sort of typifies that more than you know like what you know the Wilmer Flores sort of day week from I don't know what you want to call it, but it's a very, you know, it's a very compelling team is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. uh, It it goes beyond the pitching, basically. It does. It does. It does. And I think that you're right. I mean, just last week we saw David Wright come back, and he's obviously a fan favorite, but I think it kind of goes beyond that. I think a lot of of, uh, Mets fans have really um, enjoyed watching Jonas Cespedes, who was traded to this team. But, you know, you do have – like these characters on on this team, like Lucas Duda, as you mentioned, Wilmer Flores, who had that crazy night at City Field, and I was actually there earlier in the night where you know he had this. He thought he was traded. Everyone gave him a standing ovation because they thought that he was gone. And it was, and it was a trade deadline night. It reports yeah, exactly. That he was and two gone. nights later, he uh, you know has the game-winning hit. So it's been really kind of a storybook season. Um, for the Mets, and it's uh, it's just a lot, been a lot of fun. And I, I you know, there hasn't been much to cheer about. Uh, this organization has been kind of notoriously stingy. A lot of people have started to kind of turn on ownership, but uh, it's just been great seeing the fans really get excited again for this team that is legitimately good. And if they can get to the postseason, which I think they will, with that pitching, I think they can really make some noise. Uh, I'll end with two more baseball questions, and we'll stay we'll stay in the NL East for them. The first is I'll give one more to the Mets. I hope I haven't insulted the the hardcores that are listening here with my admittedly distant talk about the team. But the first question is of the Mets rotation. You know which which pitcher do you see as long-term the best of that crop and the second question 
is about the team that the Mets are up six and a half games on is the Washington Nationals, who are, you know, as a, a consensus preseason favor to win that division, I think, quite easily by many people. They have Bryce Harper. They have... Steven Strasburg, they have many other names beyond that that, that gave them that pedigree. Uh, the second question is really what has happened or what is going wrong in Washington because I think that's a particularly you know an interesting story that uh, I've been reading about uh, on the sidelines as well. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in terms of the match pitching, I mean, it's, uh, man, uh, when you're talking about Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom, uh, Noah Syndergaard, and now you have, you know, Steven Mats, who's really made some noise in the rotation. You know, I, I, who knows what kind of contribution he'll give to the team going forward. But uh, long term, you know, pitching, as we've seen, young pitching particularly, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, it's a total lottery. I think based on sort of body of work, I think you have to go with Matt Harvey. He's kind of gotten over the surgery. He's had a really good season this year. I can't believe that some people have been disappointed by him even though he has a two-point, I think, 5-7 ERA. Uh, he's had a great, great season. I really like Syndergaard a lot. He's kind of faded down the stretch, but he's really young. Uh, I think I would not be shocked if Jacob deGrom ends up having uh, the best career out of all these guys. Uh, I think um, if you talk to scouts, you know, I've talked to a lot of them, He's just um, a guy who, you know, for some reason gets overshadowed in that rotation. And he's in the Cy Young discussion this year, uh, just having a tremendous season. So, you know, like I said, young pitching, it's really a crapshoot. Uh, but any of those three guys, I think, really, you can't go wrong there. But I, I think, watch, look out for DeGrom. I think he's going to have a great, great career. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, and... Syndergaard is quite good. I, I saw him uh, right before this kind of really week that turned the Mets season around, and I saw him um, go perfect through six innings at the game I was at. And you, you could even see from the you know the, the the cheap seats that I had, you know what you know what he brought to there in terms of uh, ability and everything. So it, it'll it'll be something to watch in the future. All yeah, those guys. and and he's you know he struggled a lot kind of recently, and that's kind of the big question with the Mets now is. How will the, the, this young pitching staff kind of handle, you know, September, sort of the long season for the first time? How will they look sort of in October? Uh, and that's a legitimate question. I think the biggest question for the Mets kind of going forward. And, um, you know, going to your other question, I think it's a great uh, topic because I think the Nationals have been sort of, in a lot of ways, kind of the story of the season because, like you said, a lot of people – including me, thought that this team was going to run away with the division. Uh, a lot of articles written about how this team was going to be a 100-win juggernaut. And look, I mean, with that rotation, it's hard to argue against that. And I think it's very, very simple what's happened here. Bryce Harper's having an unbelievable season. They've had some injuries with um, Anthony Rendon, who's their second baseman. Uh, I thought he could be an MVP candidate this year. But it's all about that starting pitching rotation, which we kind of all hailed as this all-universe rotation going into the season. Max Scherzer, the big free agent coming onto the team, you know, he's he's done his part. He's he's already, you know, he's on his way to another a good season. Uh, it's the guys behind him in that rotation that we thought was going to be one of the greatest of all time. Jordan Zimmerman has been 
you know, not terrible, but certainly not having type of season that we expected. Gio Gonzalez has struggled. Uh, Steven Strasburg, who was hailed as that big phenom in that rotation, he's been hurt, uh, has shown flashes, but uh, not really having a great, great season. So it's all about the rotation. I do think that the race is going to tighten up uh, between these two teams because they're healthy. The Nationals are healthy. Uh, guys like Anthony Rendon, who I mentioned, they're back. Uh, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting race. But uh, six six games left between the Mets and the Nats, including the last three of the season. It's going to be, you know, I think it's going to get a little tighter, sort of in that division. But again, a six and a half game lead is pretty significant at this point in the season. So yes. I think I give the the Mets the edge. Uh, it's going to be an interesting September for sure in uh, in Flushing. Yes, well, well said to put a bow on that, and uh, that's why uh, I thought it would be worth discussing both uh, activities in uh, in and around Flushing Meadows. Um, I appreciate uh, appreciate your insight on both of them. It's, this has been really good, and uh, we have a lot to uh, lot to look forward to in the next few weeks. And uh, we'll take it from there. We uh, we should do this again sometime. Yeah, that sounds great. And looking forward to seeing you at the open end, and maybe I'll see you at City Field as well. Yes, let's do that. We'll make that happen. Albert Chen, once again, staff writer for Sports Illustrated. Uh, Baseball expert, tennis, uh, tennis nerd. If we want to uh, take it back from the start, but we all are in a way here on the uh, on the tennis dot com podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll have the women's podcast uh, with Nita Pantic and I as well. You'll be sure to want to check that out. Thank you again for listening. You've been enjoying the tennis dot com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis dot com. <laughs>